I'm going to introduce a subject that I'm going to be talking on for some time. I've got about four different lessons that I am have prepared and, and am working on. I have never been so convinced in my whole life that we are involved in truth. I've never been so convinced of it. Now this is John closing the book of Revelation and John sees the holy city and he sees the new temple. The Bible says in Revelation 21:22, and I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter any enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abominations, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. And you may be seated. And I, I've got at least four messages, possibly five, Bible studies, maybe I should say, on the glory of the Lord. Uh, I want to deal with uh, some Christian standards, why we uh, must be conservative and not go by the way of the world. Uh, Revelation 21, 23, and the city had no need of it, no need of the sun, rather, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now this will be basically an, just an introduction to three or four messages, possibly five, and I don't know when I'm going to work them in. Sunday night I'll be giving a conference report. Next Thursday night, Brother... Eckenrod is on schedule to speak, but uh, <clears throat> I, I'm excited about this because after taking a careful look in the Scripture, I find something that I feel that is extremely important for us to understand. It has to do with the glory of God or the light of God or the anointing of God. Uh, this is found many places in the Scripture. You will find in the Scripture the word Shekinah is used. The word Shekinah uh, is both the dwelling uh, place and also the glory of God. It uh, also is a place in which God's name is written. It also makes reference to that which shines shines like a light or like a fire. Um, the word Shekinah actually means the shining. And in the Scripture, references are made 
to this. Now what I'd like to do is go back in the Old Testament. Let's go back to Exodus 40, uh, 34. And we'll read the scripture, Exodus 40, verse 34. This has to do with the tabernacle. In verse 33, the scripture said, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, this, the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode therein and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day, and it was taken up. And the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So you'll find that in the daytime there was a cloud. The cloud seemed to serve as a protector to to, to pretty much hide them. Uh, they were able to go through the wilderness journey without being recognized by a lot of people. But the Bible makes it very plain that this cloud was the glory of the Lord, or it was a shining substance. It actually was the presence of Almighty God. At night, in order to light their path, uh, they uh, naturally did not have the conveniences that we have. Nobody had the conveniences we have, the electric lights and such. But at night, there was a big pillar of fire that was, was in, in the sky. It was the same substance. It appeared in daytime as a cloud. At night, it appeared as a fire. Also, you will notice when Moses finished the tabernacle, God showed his approval upon the house in which Moses had built by coming down and totally covering that place. Uh, this was also true with the temple in, in 1 Kings 10, when the temple was was uh, built, the Bible speaks of the Shekinah glory of God resting in that place. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that uh, it was not even possible for the priest to minister because of the the glory of God that came and rested in that place. I think uh, another place that would be good for us to look at would be uh, the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. This is uh, <clears throat> making reference to the Shekinah of God. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, he is possibly saying what we have read about in the book of Revelation. Uh, So he was sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. In other words, two, two wings he covered his face, two wings he covered his feet. He was able to fly with the other two wings. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I have taught some in camp meetings this past summer on holiness. I've been asked to do that. Uh, we know that the word holy means righteous. It's also translated as pure, something that's undefiled, something that is clean, something that is spotless. But it also makes reference to the glory of God. In one meaning, and it is translated, I say translated, the context of the Scripture uh, bears witness of this. We'll talk about this later on in the study. It, it also talks about completeness, that uh, just as the Bible is called the Holy Bible, consisting of 66 books, it is the complete inspired Word of God to us today. It does not contain any more or none less, and it is considered to be complete. So when we say the Holy Bible, we're not only talking about a Bible that's pure and undefiled and full of truth, but we're talking about a Bible that is totally perfect and complete. So when Paul says we are complete in Him, uh, he is also making reference to the to the holiness of God. That that uh, the word holy also means God in His totality. Uh, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you find the character of God. God is love, peace, gentleness, long suffering, faith, or faithful. But when you put it all together and you look up the one word to properly describe God, God is holy. You look in the book of Revelation on several occasions when the Bible speaks of the glory of God. It also continues to make reference to the angels that cry holy. They cry holy day and night. So these angels, the Bible says, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Notice what the, the Bible says, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's something about humanity that when he sees the pureness of God, he, he cries and claims himself to be unclean. Uh, 
John, when he took a spirit trip, when he was writing the book of Revelation, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw that judgment was to come to the planet Earth, and he saw all the people, even the redeemed, that were gathered around the throne. The Bible says that he wept much because no man was worthy to take the book and open or to loose the seals thereof. In other words, as righteous as people are through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody in heaven was qualified. After he saw all of us there, along with the Old Testament saints, nobody was qualified to bring judgment, to expedite, to initiate judgment upon the planet Earth. This is what happened to Isaiah. When he sees this, he begins to cry, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Of course, <clears throat> what happened was the Lord allowed one of the seraphims to take a coal from his hand and he took tongs and caught that coal and placed it upon Isaiah's lips to purify him and cleanse him for the mission that God was calling him to. I think that this, in part, is is a type of, of people who have been cleansed by the blood and by the fire of the Holy Ghost to preach the gospel in our particular day. Uh, so, what we what we see in the scripture is that that the holiness of God is explained as as a cloud. It's also explained as fire. It's also in this situation as as smoke. Uh, it represents the glory of God. Now I have been in a few services in which I felt there was so much glory that you could do, visibly I mean, see it. Uh, a couple of services that I was in that I don't know if if everybody could see it, but, but I personally could. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord just came upon me, and I worshiped to the point that, that I was just pretty much caught up or lost in the Spirit. And, and I could actually see the presence of God. Now, I have had some of our uh, people here to tell me situations very similar to that, that they were in a service. But Cisco came and told me about a service that, that he was in, a minister's meeting. And he said, Brother Grant, i never seen anything like it. Uh, just 100% of all the preachers there just got lost in the Spirit. Now, he said if an outsider would have walked in that was not caught up in the Spirit of God, because some things are spiritually discerned, uh, I don't know that the outsider could have seen it, but for, for certain, he said, we all saw it, we talked about it. It was like a blue haze, a shining haze that came uh, upon the congregation. And he said, you could feel, you could feel God so strongly that, you know, you, you were just in, you were awe-stricken by the presence of God. 
basically when we when we talk about uh, the various manifestations that represent the Shekinah of God, this is really a manifestation of His holiness or His glory, purity, light. Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> if you look, go all the way back to the book of uh, Genesis. We'll we'll just talk about that. Uh, I'm going to get into something that I really don't have any conclusive evidence for, but uh, I think it's good food for thought. I understand the ministerial development class gets involved in this a lot, so we'll carry you into a, a little bit of their atmosphere. Brother Rutherford, you know, is a real expert at, at uh, challenging you to think. Uh, we find Adam is, is formed from the ground. Then verse 21, uh, the Bible says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Genesis 2.22. Did I tell you where the scripture was? I didn't tell you. I knew that I didn't tell you or you were mighty slow. Now keep in mind, though, I have markers in my Bible. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Verse 22. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, Adam and Eve were made in the image and in the likeness of God. Now, I think, you know, we, we say Adam was made in the image and the likeness of God. I think in order to see the total likeness of God, that it took both male and female. I, I, don't, I don't think you could see it in just... One gender, uh, the male gender. I think it took both the man and the woman in order to see uh, Almighty God. Uh, just as it takes Christ and the church for people to see uh, God today, it takes both male and female in order to see the, the total likeness of God. Now, in verse 25, the Bible says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, <clears throat> when they sinned, the Bible tells us that, of course, Eve took the fruit of the tree. They were, there was a bit forbidden tree. Uh, it's, it's amazing, you see, this. And children, the first thing, you, you tell them not to do something, the first thing they want to do is, Go do what mom or dad said not do. I noticed we had a sign on our the new tree we're putting in the back back here. It says do not touch. And I, I noticed several people walked up and touched it on the sign. So the Lord says, now don't touch this tree. And it seemed like, First thing that happened was, Lord, where is that tree? They wanted to know where it was. It's in the midst of the garden. 
But the Bible says that they did eat of the tree. And the first thing that happened, the Bible says, verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. In other words, before that they ate of the tree or before sin entered in, these people were not even aware that they had no clothes on. Now, I say the reason why that they were not aware is because that they were clothed with the Shekinah or the righteousness of God. Now, I draw that conclusion by, by looking at the book of Revelation. If, you know, the holy city in the book of Revelation is... Is uh, see it seems to be uh, it, it seems to be the extension of the Garden of Eden. In the holy city is the tree of life. The Bible says. Now the tree of life, Adam and Eve were not privileged to eat of it. The Lord, you know came by and, and ran them out of the garden simply because that they uh, wouldn't so that they wouldn't eat of the tree and live forever. Because after they had sinned or they had lost their communion with God, uh, the Lord did not want them to eat of the tree and live forever in their sinful condition. So <clears throat> we find that in the holy city, that uh, the church is there, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place. Let's look at, uh, uh, I was getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let's look at Revelation 19. <clears throat> and after those things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. Now, what I want to look at is uh, verse, let's look at verse 6. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of the Almighty, thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. In other words, in the holy city, when we talk about the wedding garment, we're actually talking about the Shekinah of God clothing us to the point that that we have this white shining garment on. But the Bible tells us it is the righteousness of the saints. Basically, it's it's the Spirit of Almighty God that in, that enshrouds totally covers us. Now, I believe that Adam and Eve, when they were made, because they had perfect communion with God, they talked to God, 
that obviously uh, not having clothing like we have clothing, that they were actually clothed. When the Bible says that they were naked, it does not mean that they did not have any clothes on. It means that they had clothes on uh, not of this materialistic world. And it wasn't until they lost their communion with God that they look at each other and realize that they were naked. And the Bible says they were ashamed then. And the first thing they did was that they made aprons from fig leaves. They sewed them together. We have to cover ourselves. They were ashamed. Now, <clears throat> the Lord then pronounced a curse upon Adam and Eve. They were driven from the garden. Also, the planet Earth was cursed. Also, Satan was cursed. After they were driven out of the garden, the Bible says that the Lord made coats of skins and clothed them in Genesis 3.21. God was not happy with them being clothed with just fig leaves. And so he clothed them. And when they were sent out then, <clears throat> the Bible says that they were sent out in verse 22, because the man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. God did not want man to live forever in his sinful condition. So, <clears throat> the glory of God departed from them, obviously. And so as a result, when they were driven out of the garden, the Bible says that there were two angels, or cherubims, that stood by the gate of the garden with flaming swords. Another symbol of the Shekinah, or the glory of God. To guard them. In other words, they couldn't walk back in because they were blinded with this light. They just they couldn't go any further. They just they just they could not get back in. Just as as Moses, when he came down off of Mount Sinai after he had been in the presence of the Lord for forty days, he had to veil his face because the, there was so much of God's Shekinah resting upon him, so much of the glory of God that the people couldn't look upon his face. It was blinding, like driving down the, the freeway and, 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 and you see the, the divided highway is not so divided. It's real close in some areas. And a car over in the other lane coming toward you has the bright lights on. And just momentarily, you just you lose it. You, you, don't, you can't see. It's too bright. And so this is how the Lord kept them out. Now, <clears throat> it is amazing that throughout the Scripture that you, that you find this. Just throughout the Scripture that, 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 that you find this. Uh, like when Jesus was transfigurated on, in, in Matthew 17, if you'll turn there. Matthew 17, verse 2. It's talking about Jesus. He took with him Peter, James, and John, verse 1. 
and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. In other words, his garments actually glistened. They were that white. I think uh, if you look in, in Mark, the, the, the ninth chapter, verse 2, after six days Jesus taketh with them Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller on earth can white them. In other words, there was not one person on the planet earth that would be able to bleach them whiter than what they were. So you could see the Shekinah. Now throughout the scripture, you will find references made to this. Like I said, now I want this to serve as a foundation for some teaching that I want to do on sanctification, on separation, upon holiness. Uh, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve. You will also find that, that uh, when Moses, after 400 years of Egyptian bondage or slavery, that the Shekinah of God appeared unto him. It's in the form of a burning bush. This is the reason why the bush was burning, was not being consumed, because it was not natural fire. He, he, he interpreted it to be natural fire, but it was the glory of God. And if you notice what the Lord says to him, the first thing he says to Moses, he said, Moses, do what? Remove your shoes. Why? Because the ground upon which you stand is holy. It's sacred. It's set apart. See, that's what the anointing of God does. That's what the, the Shekinah of God does. And so as a result, uh, here's this bush. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. He knew something was different about it. First he thought it was just on fire, but then the voice of God came. Now, <clears throat> later on, after he took Israel uh, out of Egyptian bondage, uh, we find the same thing appearing again, but it was in, in the sky. The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We made reference to that, in the, or the Scripture makes reference to it. Uh, this actually happened before even the, the tabernacle was built. It was there. And it seemed to be a protector for them in the daytime and also at nighttime. Uh, when Moses went up into the mountain, I, I have already made reference to this. In the presence of God, he veiled his, I say he veiled his face. He didn't veil his face until he got in the presence of men. But just being in the presence of God, when he came down off the mountain, uh, the Bible says that he had to veil his face because the people could not even look upon him. The, the Shekinah of God was upon him in such a, such a great way. <clears throat> when the tabernacle was was completed, the Bible says that God's name was in the tabernacle. It was a dwelling place of God. Uh, you will find that when they 
uh, finished the tabernacle and they were going to dedicate the tabernacle, the Shekinah of God came down in such a great way that they could not minister. Also, when sacrifices were offered upon the altar, you will find that it was not natural fire that was started on this planet Earth. It was fire that fell out of heaven upon the sacrifices. It had to be that way. My next lesson is going to be on strange fire. The Bible speaks of strange fire in the tabernacle, and that was fire that was placed there by mankind. It was not fire that fell out of heaven. This represents anointing that does not come from God, but from man. You see, we must have the favor of Almighty God upon us. We must do what God wants us to do. We must be in a position in which His Shekinah will rest upon us. So fire came and rested upon the, 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 the sacrifice. It actually consumed it, burned it. Uh, later on, when the temple was built, the same thing. You know, uh, it's amazing to me that, uh, you know, the Bible speaks of the dwelling places of God and how His Shekinah has al always rested there. You'll find the, the columns, the, the pillars that supported the, the temple on the outside. The Bible says the name of the Lord was on top of those. Nobody could see the name of God, but when God looked down, His name was there. And His Shekinah came and rested in the place. Of course, we know that in the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah of God was always there. Uh, the Bible speaks of the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the angels on each side that had their wings extended. They were made of pure gold. And the priests would come and sit in that mercy seat once a year for the sins of all of Israel. And the Shekinah of God would come and, and, and rest uh, upon him. Uh, if you uh, remember during the book of Judges, there's, uh, there's a 400-year period of time in which Israel just did so much backsliding and and uh, they they wrestled with God and God wrestled with them. And the book of Judges is, is a very disappointing book from the standpoint of Israel's ability to follow God. For 400 and something years, you will find that Israel sinned, God punished them, they repented, and God forgave them. But just over and over and over, that's the, the constant pattern. Uh, at the close of the book of Judges, God raises up a young man by the name of Samuel. Samuel uh, was a perpetual servant in the house of God. He was prophet and priest. He anointed the, the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. He anointed Saul because Israel wanted to be like other nations. Now, <clears throat> what I want to bring out is that there was 400 years of Egyptian bondage. For 400 years, apparently, the Shekinah did not appear to mankind at all. It's a very, very sad moment in the history. You will also find that during the 400 years uh, of the judges that 
It appeared and then disappeared. It appeared and disappeared. It appeared and disappeared. It was a very, very sad time. Uh, finally, Israel, in wanting to defeat their enemies, they took the Ark of the Covenant from, from the tabernacle. They decided what they would do is just go and, and uh, take it over into the camp of the Philistines. This they did. Now, <clears throat> Eli, the high priest, you're familiar with that name. Eli was the man that talked with Samuel when Samuel was a young man and, and instructed him that the voice that you hear in the blackness of the night is the voice of God. He heard it three times. He said, when the Lord speaks to you the third time, you should say, Speak, my Lord, for your servant heareth thee. While he was a man that was acquainted with the voice of God, he was not a man that was in tune with God. He allowed certain things in the house of God that God was not pleased with. Basically, when we look at it, we'd think that he really didn't do much wrong. When the sacrifice was consumed by the fire that fell from heaven, the Bible tells us that the priest had a two-pronged fork. And what they would do is that they would strike the shoulder of the sacrifice and pull forth the flesh. And whatever they would pull forth with one strike, that's how much meat that they were able to eat that day. That was their daily consumption of meat. But uh, two sons of Eli, because that they were unconcerned about the word of the Lord and they were worldly in essence, Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible tells us that what they did is took a sharp knife and they decided they would uh, just eat what they wanted to eat. God was unhappy. After a while they were consuming a lot of wine and becoming drunk and, and uh, they just laid the two-pronged fork aside and they got what they wanted. It's these two boys that came up with this scheme, we'll take the ark of God, the place where the Shekinah rests. We'll take it over and fight the Philistines. And the reason why that they couldn't win over the Philistines is because when they went out that the glory of God did not follow them like the glory of God was with Gideon when Gideon had that lamp in his hand and broke that vessel, it was more than just a natural light. It was like the Shekinah of God shining. We have to understand that God performed such great supernatural things for, for Israel. But uh, these boys were not very successful. They took the Ark of the Covenant. And when they took the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible tells us, that, that something drastic happened back in the land of Israel. Now, when news had come that Hophni and Phinehas had died, that the ark had been confiscated, the Bible tells us that Eli, he was an old priest and a heavy man, that he tumbled backwards from where he was sitting and broke his neck and, of course, he died. His... Daughter-in-law, Finus's wife, gave birth to a child, and she named the child Ichabod. And the word Ichabod means the glory of God 
has departed from Israel. It means we have lost the Shekinah. We have lost the shining. We have lost the glory of God. Now, a lot of you are laughing because someone was calling Brother Eckenrod, Brother Ichabod. <clears throat> that was a that was a very, very, very sad story. Of course, you know how that the the ark came back, and David finally brought it back to Jerusalem. It was a, took a long time to get it in Jerusalem, the city that God had chosen. And David then decided that he would build the temple, a permanent dwelling place. David was not allowed to build it, but he accumulated all the wealth. He had the plan, everything. His son Solomon built the temple because Solomon was a man of peace. David was a man of war. And upon the dedication of the tabernacle, the Shekinah came back and rested in the place. And Israel rejoiced throughout the land because the glory of God had returned back to the house of God. Now, after the division of the land, after Solomon's reign, first there was Saul, then there was David, and then there was Solomon. The country went through civil war. Ten tribes split off to the north and two tribes to the south. The ten tribes on the north did not even have Jerusalem as a place to worship. They set up a couple of other places to worship. Uh, I could go into a lot of detail on this, but it would take me a long, long time to tell the whole story. But I, I want you to understand what the Bible is speaking of when it talks about the glory of God. But during this time, uh, Israel went into sin, and sometime during the reign of the kings, the glory of the Lord departed from Israel again. In fact, at the destruction of the temple, it's believed at that time that the Ark of the Covenant was lost when Nebuchadnezzar came down, destroyed the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes had gone into Assyrian captivity 120 years before. In 70 years they were in captivity. Later they came back. Three expeditions back to Israel. The temple was rebuilt. Nehemiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel. The temple was rebuilt. But uh, <clears throat> something was missing. The glory, the Shekinah, was not there. The Old Testament closes with 400 years of total silence. The Shekinah was not in the land of Israel. It was gone. But the New Testament opens. <clears throat> the New Testament first talks about the conception of Mary by the Holy Ghost and talks about Jesus Christ that, that comes into the world. The Bible tells us that the first thing that happened was that there were wise men that saw his star in the east. And they went all the way to Jerusalem and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star 
and the east, and we have come to worship him. If you turn to Matthew, the second chapter, if you will. Matthew, the second chapter, this is the visit of the Magi, or the wise people, the wise men. We don't really know how many kings. A lot of people believe three. They came from the east to Jerusalem. Verse 2, they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Now, I'm proposing what the star was. It was the glory or the Shekinah of God returning back to Israel. And the reason why I propose this, you see, they went to, to Herod, and, and Herod then asked the scribes, uh, you know, where is, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In other words, they said, oh, in Bethlehem uh, of Judea, for it is written, see. All right. So... <clears throat> The Bible says that when they heard the king, verse 9, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now why would they rejoice when they saw the star? It was the shining, the Shekinah, the glory of God had returned to Israel. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. The glory of God had returned to Israel. Then, of course, I've already made reference to this, the Mount of Transfiguration, there in the book of Matthew and the book of, of Luke, Matthew 17 and Luke 9. Uh, we see the Shekinah of God resting upon Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> Jesus Christ lived on this planet Earth for... 33 plus years and died, died a cruel death upon the cross. And after his death, he was with us on this planet earth for, after his resurrection, for 40 days. And Jesus, uh, apparently, the glory of God came and rested upon him in a fashion like never before. He was able to walk through walls sit down and eat, not gain weight. <clears throat> I just added that. <clears throat> then he departed into the heavens. Now, when he departed into the heavens, in Acts, the first chapter, and I'd like you to turn there. In Acts, the first chapter, Jesus is about to go up but he gives a commission that they should preach the gospel to all creatures. In Acts 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. In other words, here's the Shekinah of God again. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. In other words, he was taken up by cloud. Uh, obviously, this cloud was the Shekinah of God. And when the cloud disappeared, the men were so amazed. They were just fixed on this, this cloud. And here appeared these two angels robed in white apparel, the Shekinah of God. And they said, uh, why are you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus that you see going up will come again in like manner. Now the Bible says, then they returned to, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. They went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John. And, of course, all the disciples or the apostles are, are, are listed. Now, I, I believe the upper room was in the temple. The reason why is because the book of Luke closes out by saying that they were continually in the temple praising God. They did this. They went to the temple. But notice how the second chapter of the book of Acts starts. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. In other words, the Shekinah of God is returning again to rest upon who? These newborn believers. The Shekinah of God is resting upon those who are filled with the Holy Ghost. In other words, there was a holy atmosphere that came and rested upon those who were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think sometimes, you know, because we live in a natural world, and we get, up, we get caught up too much in natural things to appreciate some great and deep spiritual truths. I say great and deep. They're very simple. But, but uh, because that we're, we're so earthly, we, we fail to recognize this. You know, we'll see people coming and praying at the altar and repenting of their sins. And if you, you people who have said that you wanted altar work to be your ministry, you, you probably are more aware of this than anyone else. When you're praying with someone and you're instructing someone, uh, they're repenting of their sins. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a fight. But all of a sudden, during this, especially if you're praying with someone that's 100% sold out on the fact that they need to be born again, that they need to be saved, you'll find that all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. And it's like their whole countenance changes. 
a person who is so stooped in sin, so bound on the road to hell, that all of a sudden, where there is a frown, whether there is a struggle, where there's deep furrows in the brow, all of a sudden uh, they leave, and, and and you'll see the Shekinah of God resting upon them. The atmosphere totally changes. That's what the Bible is talking about. I don't know how many people I I baptized a lot of people. In my life, uh, recent years, not as many. I've allowed our young men, young ministers of our congregation, or other ministers, maybe I should say, some older than myself, by the way, uh, to baptize. Brother Rutherford is older than I am. <coughs> Sister Jeanette looked like, I don't know about that. Uh, he's not here tonight. So I will freely use his name. <clears throat> but some of you I've taken to the baptismal tank and baptized you. And when you came up out of the water, I remember uh, Shelley when we baptized Shelley. When Shelley came up out of the water, when Shelley prayed and repented, uh, she cried. She sought God. She struggled. And when she was baptized, when she came up out of the water, there was just an angelic look that came over this young lady. I'm serious with you. You, you could see the Shekinah of God resting upon her. And I've seen this, I've seen this upon so many people. You know, when we when we start praising the Lord. You know, we talk about the glory of the Lord. Brother Brother Grisham preached a message at our conference two or three years ago. He talked about it said, he said, what we need to do, we need to, especially in our altar services, we need to pray and praise and worship God until the glory of God comes. He said the old timers used to talk about this. You know, just get lost in the Spirit. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were all in one mind and one accord. See, the, the Shekinah is making reference not only to the shining, but also it's a manifestation of His holiness, a place in which the name of God is easily recognized. Isn't it amazing that, that in the New Testament we are taught that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost? That's what the Bible says. We're the temple of God. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for God loveth a holy temple, which temple you are. But see, not only is the Shekinah of God resting upon God's church today, but His name is written there. We are baptized exclusively in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptized exclusively in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we house the Shekinah of God. We house the presence of God. You will find that that this and this alone is, is the basic concept that's taught in the Bible, the basic idea that's found in the Bible that, that teaches us separation from the world. It teaches us 
separation not only from the world and activities, but in what we wear and what we clothe ourselves with. You look around, if you're a guest of ours, you'll see our ladies are very, very plain. In other words, uh, you don't see makeup on them. Earrings dangling from their ears and such. Why? Because in the Bible, the Shekinah was to make them so radiant that they didn't need all those things. You'll find the first thing that happened when the glory of God departed. What did they want to do? They wanted to put on artificial shiny stuff, gold, silver, and hang it all over their bodies and everything. Wear garments that that glisten. Seems like the deeper into sin people go, the more they want to imitate the the shining. It's just it's just that way. Why? Because. Everyone really loves this feeling. I don't know what it is, but see, everything that glitters is not gold, my friend. It's, it's not for real. It's not for real. It's not for real. It, it is amazing, too, that, you know, I, I, I said something about this at our camp. You know, uh, Everything that's alive, you don't have to. You don't have to paint it up and fix it up. You'll find in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when Israel backslid, first thing they did, they painted their faces. You know that? You read it. They took on garments of the world, put earrings around their, around on their ears, and and, and such. But when the Shekinah appeared to them and they got in the presence of God, they saw how insignificant all these things were. That the true value uh, and the true beauty uh, uh, of a child of God was, was not in what was on the outside, but what was radiating to the outside. You know, things that are dead, you have to paint it to preserve it. You know, you don't have to go down and buy a new a new horse and take it out and give it a shellac job. You know, you don't have to go buy paint for your pet goat and paint it because things that are alive don't need to be painted. You paint barns that are made from trees that have been cut down and killed, basically. And when people die spiritually, you'll find that the the more that death occurs in them, the greater they see a need of uh, preserving themselves. You want to look young. You want to look shiny. It is amazing, though, when people start praying in the Spirit how insignificant some of these things appear. How would you like to live in a holy city where everybody dressed the same? You know, you think about that. Nobody's standing out above another. Just the Shekinah of God clothing. You know, I, I guess I, I can understand, you know, people 
wanting the Holy Ghost and wanting to speak in tongues and wanting to go to the Holy City. And when it comes to holiness, they don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't quite understand that. I don't make the connection. To me. You know, we, we're going to a holy city. There's a holy God. We're going to be robed in the Shekinah of God. And yet, uh, our main concern here on this earth is what I'm going to wear that's going to make me stand out. What am I going to put on that will make me above the rest of the world? I just want to be different. Well, needless to say, Jesus said, you know, life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. And a man's life consists of more than the abundance of the things that he possesses. Let me tell you something. If Calvary Gospel Church just has the glory of God resting upon it, it will become the envy of the religious world. I've told this story two or three times, but walked into a paint shop. We're building this building. The guy said, oh, yeah, Tom Nelson's just over here. He said, I understand you're Tom uh, and Rich's pastor. And I said, yeah. He said, oh, my. You should have known those men before their conversion. He said, oh, I've heard a few things. He said, oh, but I knew them. When I was a kid, I don't know who sung the song, but I heard it on the radio several times. It's different now since Jesus saved my soul. It's different now. Everything is different. I don't understand people wanting to go to a church where all they have to do is sign their name someplace. They don't change their lifestyle at all. They're not converted at all. There's no change that takes place at all. Too long ago, someone told me a decision they had made not to attend Calvary Gospel Church anymore. And I said, well, <clears throat> there's one thing for sure. I said, you can go there and you won't have to change your lifestyle at all. You won't have to change it at all. I wasn't trying to be mean and ugly, but I thought I owed it to the man. I said, not only that, you can take all your friends there. And they don't have to change at all. But some things may be all right to live by, but not too kosher to die by. We need the glory of God. If you're a teenager, Listen to me, young lady. What should be the paramount, the predominant thought of your mind is, does God's glory rest upon me? Do I admit to the world His presence? Do I project the Shekinah of God? That's also true of the young men. 
what I wear, the way I dress, the activities I'm involved in. You can't tell me that you're pleasing to God if you go any place on this planet Earth that Jesus would not endorse and go himself. You can call me an old fogey and narrow-minded if you want to. But what's going to happen if you go there and you do have the Shekinah, the glory just might depart. I have never been so convinced in my life in reading the Scripture, page after page after page, studying, thumbing through the Scripture, that God's church must be different from the world. It must be. Some of you brand new people that have just been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, Laura, you're just filled with the Holy Ghost. Let God's glory rest upon you. To change you. Totally change. I just wish that all of our people were here tonight. I feel something deep in God. Do you know that when these messages are given out, three messages given out in an interpretation, do you know how precious and valuable this is when God speaks to us? You think of God speaking from Mount Sinai and His voice went forth like thunder and the Shekinah of God was radiating from that mountain. You think of God coming down and speaking through human bodies. It makes the place sacred. It charges the atmosphere with glory. Praise God. Oh, glory. I think we need to feel after God. Would you just feel after God with me right now? Oh, I need you, God. We need the glory, the Shekinah. Oh, glory. Sister Grant, would you come? Our praise singers. Oh, hallelujah. You know, this is the reason why. And I, 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 please understand when I, I say this. I, I want every person in this building to have a deeper walk with God. But you know, it's not altogether in how much you pray, but it's how you pray. As much as I like these victory sessions where we're going around laying hands on each other, that's not how the Shekinah comes. Now, we need that. But if you want the Shekinah of God resting upon you, 
It's when you are in personal, deep communion with God, seeking after God, reaching out to God, shutting yourselves in with God. That's when you're going to find a lot of your personal problems and such will just totally dissipate. Living in the Spirit will cure 99% of all of your problems. My Jesus, Lord. And please, I did not say that we should not pray together. I did not say that. But I am saying this, that the bulk of your prayer life should be in your communion with God alone. Now, you may be two feet from someone. But you follow what I'm saying when I say alone. I'm talking about doesn't incorporate anybody else but just you and God. Come into my chamber, sweet Holy Spirit. Speak to me gently as I close. The door, heavenly lover, let thy presence hover. Shekinah, unending, is all I long for. Let's sing it again. Come into chamber, sweet Holy 